Shot is no good. The rebound tapped back outside. The cannon drives the lane. Blocked by Wolf. Rebound Pennsylvania. Dave Wall. The Bilski's Leon to the wall in the middle. Up and good. Leon to fast break. Executed to perfection. Here comes Fields the other way for a foul. Gets to the foul line. Blocked from behind by Wall. Wolf with the rebound. No good. Rebound Bob Wolf. Pennsylvania. Hot left pass to Bilski. Jacob's going to run again. Bilski has Calhoun and Wolf all the way underneath. Did he go through? Welcome to the Penalty Box. I'm Sam Mitchell, here as always with Mark Margolis and Carter Thompson. Uh, and today our special guests are Taya Ross and Brevin Flesher. Flesher? <laughs> and, uh... He's already on the podcast. Yeah, I probably mispronounced it that time, too. Nah, it just looks unprofessional. Yeah. And today we are talking about men's and women's lacrosse, a big weekend for tennis, and all the other happenings in Penn Athletics. So let's get started. Yeah, so Brevin, being the expert that you are on all things Penn Men's Lacrosse. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> um, how big is their game against Yale coming up? Um, Yale's a pretty huge game. They have they've lost, they have not beaten Yale in a long time, and it's it's kind of getting over a hump thing. I mean, they're one goal, two goal losses every time. And especially with that loss to Cornell this past weekend, I mean they really I think it's Ivy League tournament. They have to win the Ivy League or they or I don't think they're getting to the NCAA tournament despite some of their early success. And I think they match up better with Yale, I would say, than against the ball movement cutting teams like Cornell. For instance, like with a with a straight dodging of like Ben Reeves, I think they do a little bit better than that. They're more familiar with him, obviously. He's been maybe the best player in the conference for four years. So it's definitely it's definitely something that I think they can they can get over that hump, but it's gonna take a lot and I, it's really an important game. You don't wanna and with the schedule they played at the beginning of the year, they don't have much room for error because they can win all these good games, but they've also shown that they can lose all the games too. And that just makes sense. I mean, you're two good teams playing each other. You're not going to win 100% of those games. But it's really tough to, to lose two games in a row. That puts you a one and two in the Ivy League. I mean, you still have Dartmouth, which honestly is a pretty easy win, hopefully, for them. And you still have Brown, who isn't as strong. But the Brevin Jinx is in order. I said I think, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I really, I really think that for them, just confidence-wise, you know, you can, if you can beat Duke, you can beat Yale. They're comparable teams this year. I mean, Yale stacked, but if you can beat one, you can beat the other. But it's just going to come down to a mental thing, I think. Also, a problem with uh, Reeves is also very good at feeding, and their second attackman, Jackson Morrill, shoots about fifty-four percent. Yeah, Morrill could be a number one guy. Which on is, most I mean, fifty-four percent is really high in lacrosse. I mean, you, I mean. Reeves shoots around 36%, and he's one of the best players in the country. Yeah. So it's a problem. I mean, it, it's tough to key on one player when he also finds other ways to beat you by getting it to the other guys. Yeah. A lot of moral success does come from Reeves dodging to the left side or from the left wing and then drawing and getting him good looks from the crease. But like like I said, Morrill is he's a guy that could be one of the best players on most Ivy League teams, and then he's, he's like a second fiddle guy, one of many options for... For Yale, but it all starts with Ben Reeves. And last year, Kevin Gayhart did a pretty good job on Reeves. He beat Junkin short side a couple of times with that. He does this like he comes around the cage and he kind of like dunks at lefty before even like looking at the goal, which is pretty, which is kind of unique um, among attackmen nowadays. So he does that. But Kevin Gayhart did a pretty good job on him. Gayhart's gone this year. It's probably going to be up to Mark Ivanchik, but I don't know. I mean, just size wise. Talking to, I interviewed for the preview, I interviewed uh, Murphy today, mm -hmm. and he talked about how. So today's kind of where they focus, Tuesday's kind of where they focused on their own stuff, what they're going to do, and they're going to focus, and they're going to look Wednesday more at the scout and 
how they're going to configure, and they're unsure whether they're going to put Keating, bring him down for a lot of the game to cover Reeves, or if they're going to stick with one of the close guys in Kyle Thornton or Mark Ivanchik. Um But in talking to Keating, he, I mean, he just said straight up, like, I hate Yale, man. Like, this week of practice has been, you know, I guess they've, they've noticed something different, I guess, this week. There's been, like, a certain energy and buzz uh, given that they knocked them out of the tournament, Ivy League tournament last year, Yale's kind of in the class of the Ivy League. So I honestly am expecting, I could see another kind of Duke-type performance where they outplay a, a better team, basically. Yeah, and I mean, if, they, if, that's what, if you, what you said is true and they bring Keating down to cover Reeves, that shows a huge show of confidence, huge vote of confidence in Keating's play because at the beginning of the year, um, Murphy talked about, well, yeah, we're going to bring him down. We want him on the field the whole time. But he's still probably getting carded the best midi. He's still unsure of like the whole the, the way to play angles behind the cage. And considering that Reeves has a lot of his damage from X, like that would show like wow, Connor Keating's really. It's involved. unlikely, I think, that they like bring him down the close the entire game. Oh, he's up. No, he is close. Like he, that's where he's playing now. He like he's always on the field for like close defense now. It's just like he guards a midi generally, but he does. He's not technically a long stick midi this year. But, like, he has not made that full transition to guarding the top X attack. It seems like they're going to rotate guys who they're going to have on him regardless. Oh, I, but that makes sense. But, I mean, with me, I mean, that's kind of what you have to do with a player like Reeves. Yeah. So do you think that if they pull the upset and beat Yale this weekend, that that bodes well for Penn's chances in winning the Ivy League? Or do you think that still a lot of stuff has to go their way and this is just the first step towards that? Um, I think it bodes really well for winning the Ivy League regular season, mm-hmm. which... If you want and if you want to try to get an at-large bid for the NCAA tournament, they need they can't get an at-large bid if they lose the Ivy League regular season title. But honestly, if they want to win the Ivy League tournament, get the automatic bid, they have to beat Yale twice. Like they they'd have to beat them Yale. Yeah, they'd have to beat Yale, but then they still have to play them again in the championship. But I think the, like the way the cross is right now, the tournaments there's it's like a 16 team tournament, 17 if you count like the automatic qualifiers, the two lowest play each other. Um, but there's nine automatic qualifiers, uh, which means like there's like seven spots, um, seven or eight spots for the uh, for the at-large bids. And the problem is the ACC, which is probably the deepest, best conference in the country, doesn't have an automatic bid because there's only five teams instead of the requisite six. So then you have to so like the top three teams from the ACC automatically gonna get are gonna get in just because their reputation just because they're, they're kids like yeah, like Duke for instance right. Duke's taking up one of like for the Ivy League's trying to be a two-bid t- two league Duke's taking up one of those spots and like Syracuse is take, who just beat Duke's taking up one of those spots Notre Dame's taking up one of those spots and then you have the guys that lose the Big Ten so you say Maryland wins the Big Ten Rutgers takes one of those spots and then maybe even like a, like a Michigan and then you like well, another team we lost to we lost to Villanova Villanova's in the same conference as as Denver. So if Denver gets the automatic bid, then there's Villanova for the at-large. So as good as the Ivy League is this year, and they're really good, I just don't see them being a two-bid league. So I think they have to win the tournament in order to get in, similar to basketball. They also don't have a strong, that strong of an overall record. I mean, they're a 500 team. They're 5-4. and four. Like, I don't, you know, I don't think they're yeah. playing banking on, like, getting, you know, oh, if we improve our resume this much, then we'll maybe get an at-large bid. I mean, it is Ivy League or bust. Well, I don't like, think it was supposed to be because, like, Mur- when I was talking to Murphy at the beginning of the year, he did say that the reason we play all these good teams is because it strengthens our schedule for the committee because for lacrosse, they're just looking for you to be over 500 
and if you're over 500, then they look at your RPI, then they look at your strength of schedule. So like a team like Johns Hopkins gets in at seven and five seemingly every year just because of their schedule. Uh, yeah, so let's um, transition now to uh, the other lacrosse team on Penn's campus, which is women's lacrosse. And uh, Taya, why don't you just uh, recap for a little bit? You know, they had these two matches, the loss to Maryland, the comeback win over Brown. Um, talk about how the team kind of reacted to those and uh, what that means moving forward. Well, we were really disappointed with the loss to Maryland. I don't think that we really showed our full potential in that game. Um, Maryland's obviously a an amazing team, but I think that we could have given them more of a game than we did. So we were pretty disappointed with that. But um, And then starting off kind of weak against Brown didn't feel great, but we actually had, I think, the 2008 um, NCAA like championship team um, come hang out with us before the game, and they were explaining their mentality. Uh, going into every game, like if we were down by seven, like didn't matter. We knew we were gonna win the game because that's just what we do. Um, and I think that really came into play for Brown. I think we were down seven two at a point, and like I'm just chilling on the sideline watching the game. Like, eh, it's okay. I know we're gonna win, so <laughs> whatever. Um, and and why don't you in in that vein t- tell people that that don't know what you you play for the team, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm on the women's lacrosse team. Um, Love it. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> um, great team. Um, after And then after we won, it was great. Second Ivy win, always a good time. Um, right now, it's us and Dartmouth, who are the only two teams who are 2-0 and in the Ivy League, which is pretty cool. Um, so, yeah. And you say your team's probably better than Dartmouth. We think so. Dartmouth is really good this year. Um, they're upset... Upsetting Princeton was huge for Dartmouth and definitely a huge surprise for the Ivy League. I don't think anyone actually expected that to happen. Um, but historically, we do beat Dartmouth sizably. But uh, this year, I'm sure they'll give us game. Do you think that it says more about Dartmouth um, winning that game against Princeton or more about Princeton losing that game to Dartmouth? I believe some Princeton girls are currently injured. Um, I know Dartmouth has an amazing uh, draw taker whose stick skills have improved over the past couple of years, so she can really get it out. And um, Dartmouth is settling into the new coach well. But, um, yeah. Yeah. What do you think it says about your team's reputation, considering that you lost for the first time all year? this past week against Maryland, and you actually moved up in the rankings according to, like, the inside the cross polls. Does that show, like, Penn's reputation as a force, as a formidable force in nationally in women's lacrosse? I think definitely. Like, Maryland's a really great team, and they know how to beat teams, but they – so they and they beat uh, JMU over the weekend, who was ranked higher than them. So us losing to Maryland was losing to a really great team, so that's why we bumped up. Um, how are you, so looking at the box score, they pumped in the first five goals of the game, mm-hmm. but it would, it was seemed like it was pretty evenly played after that, after their spurt to start the game, so how were you guys able to kind of settle in, and although you guys weren't able to, you know, pull out the win, um, did, you know, the last half of the game against Maryland provide some momentum going into Brown, or were they kind of just two separate, I guess, entities? 
I think we take every game kind of separately. Like playing Brown in the Ivy League is a lot different than playing the reigning national champions. Um, but after we were down five zero, like we all, I think we called a timeout and everybody just settled down. Like we talked about what we, as a team, know we need to do well and got back to the basics. And when we get back to the basics, our team performs well. That's how we caught up. I want to shift the focus to a couple of your teammates. Um, Gabby Rosenwig is on pace to set the record for the most points in a single season, and Zoe Bellado as a freshman has been sensational, to say the least. What makes both of them so good? Those two work amazingly well together, and they're really different players, which is super cool to watch and defend against, too. Um, Gabby is incredibly persistent. She'll never give up. She's definitely one of the hardest workers on the team. Um, and she wants to win every game, every ground ball, she, every goal. Like, she gets upset with herself if things don't go her way, and she'll work really hard to correct those things. Um, Zoe is, her field sense is incredible. I have never played against someone who can be simultaneously like you don't know what she's doing is she going to goal or is she going to pass it right over your head and assist one of her teammates she's really unselfish in her play and it's that I think that contributes to her success yeah I know that she's been a name that we've had come up in our hard-nosed player of the week multiple multiple times this season so I'm right. only anticipating that that's going to happen a little bit more as we go into Ivy League play uh, her, your coach also interviewed, well, Sam did the interview for my article today, but when listening to interview, your coach talked about how she's never had, she's almost, she can't remember a freshman she's had this much confidence in, and as someone who covers her every, like, what is it, does it get tiring to cover her every single day in practice? Like, does it, I don't know, does it get really, I don't know, is your head always on a swivel in that? definitely makes our defenders better because she's a very slippery player it's hard to like body up on her like Gabby's a very like a big force and like our defenders can body up on her but Zoe's very slippery and there are those kinds of players in on the teams that we play so it's definitely great to get that experience and Zoe comes from a really good high school program too so I'm sure that's where some of her confidence comes from. She's a huge leader for St. Stephen, St. Agnes. Uh, growing up, I played her once my when I was a senior, and she was a junior, and she was crushing it back then, too. Hey, your, your coach said the last person that came to Penn from that school uh, was ended up being an All-American and, like, a huge contributor. I think this was a few years ago, but, yeah, so that, that you know, that's good preparation. I, yeah. Yeah. I could see her following the same path. <laughs> Uh, yeah, wait, can I just ask a quick general question real quick? So I was talking with Brevin last week about how he thinks, like, the face-off is overpowered in lacrosse, like how after every single goal there's a face-off. So I was wondering if maybe we could get some dialogue between the two of you. I I'm curious about your opinion on the face-off, like, whether you think, I know this is pretty controversial, I hear, but, like, maybe just giving the ball to the to the team that got scored on after, or at least like shorting the shot clock. I know it's a different shot clock in men's and women's lacrosse, but I'd love to hear your thoughts about that. We do something different than the men. So ours is a draw where oh. instead of someone winning it right away on the men's team, on the, in the men's game, 
our ball is like going straight up in the air or to one side, so it's kind of more fit. It's de- it's definitely more fair, okay. yeah. um, because it's anyone's ball. And actually, Zoe is really good at picking up <laughs> our draws for for the men. I, I was never. I'm not advocating that you get rid of the face off, but the the question is, and a lot of lacrosse analysts are thinking now. And and like I said, like in men's lacrosse, it's such a different animal. It's just like. Yeah, there's one person with this one very specific skill determines who has the ball, and there's no shot clock. There's no universal shot clock. So theoretically, if you play your cards right, you can get the ball almost the entire game or just well more of the game than you should have otherwise. So I, the reason that people are talking about this 60-second this shot clock, this universal shot clock is, okay, yeah, you can still have the face-offs. The best face-off man will still win the ball, but there's going to be way more possessions to be had. So it's not going to be a game like we struggle. Uh, one of the big things that Penn struggles with against um, Connor Mackey, the faceoff man for Yale, is he's he's just he's a dominant faceoff man. He's one of the best in the country. So if we play our best game or very best game, I mean it's still going to be an uphill battle because they might be having the ball uh, for two thirds of the game. We have one third. The reason we were able to beat Duke, one of the reasons, you know, pretty even faceoff play actually. We really won the face-off, the face-off battle in the fourth quarter, so it's just it's hard to get momentum in men's lacrosse um, if you can't win the face-off. So I think that's it's a sixty-second. I don't. There's no. There are people that want to get rid of it entirely, but that's they're, I, they're not. You're not going to hear that's, much. I think that's extreme. Yeah, you're not going to hear much about people saying let's just do it basketball-wise and give the ball just switch possessions. Also, I mean, Murphy talked about how his magic number is roughly if he thinks they get forty percent that they have a pretty good shot mm-hmm. at taking Yale, but they. I mean. They know the, re- the big thing is about not losing right away is to at least create a ground ball yeah. scrum because that gets Keating on the wings involved or one of the short stick mids. And, I mean, you at the, ba- uh, the biggest thing uh, Chris Santangelo can do is not lose the face-off clean, is yeah. to create a ground ball scrum. And that just goes to show you, like, Murphy's hoping for 40% to win the game. Like, that's not – it doesn't seem like too, too much to ask. You throw in a shot clock and there are more possessions – then what do you hope for, 30%? It just becomes just less onus on the face-off. And it really is a specific part of, ga- of the game. The guys who take the face-offs, they take the face-offs. They call it FOGO. They face-off, get-off. They take the face-off, then they leave. It's not like they're not really a part of the offense necessarily or part of the rest of the flow of the game. So it's just kind of, it's just kind of something like you have this specific skill that determines so much of the game. And if you have a great one, if you're Trevor Baptiste for Denver, if you're TD Erlin for Albany, if you're Connor Mackey for Yale... Your team's great. Like Yale's thinking, okay, we're going to get 70% of the possessions no matter what. Mm-hmm. We have a huge margin for error. But when we don't have that luxury, like it's easy, like right now, Penn's like, yeah, I, I, like as, as somebody who's rooting for Penn, I, I'm not so sure about the face-off now. If we had, if we had Connor Mackey on our team, maybe it'd be a different story. Mm-hmm. But Yeah, I want to hop in on this because it was an interesting conversation to hear how UMBC as a 16 seed was able to beat Virginia and one of the reasons that a lot of people attributed that to was the fact that there were actually less possessions in the game and so it was easier for a team with in a game with less possessions to be more even with a better team whereas over many different possessions the better team will usually win out so it's actually interesting to hear you talk about this in terms of lacrosse because you're saying if there are more possessions then the better team or the better face-off team ends up getting more possession yeah, total exactly something so similar happened i think in like 2013 to syracuse syracuse was the much better team like uh, like you know statistically the better team they played brian just a lowly team in the tournament and then kevin kevin massa for brian was like 22 of 23 faceoffs or something totally shifts the game you have that one guy you just go on this huge huge tear and really cover up some serious 
some serious faults. And I mean, that's related to why there's so many more upsets in college basketball than in the NBA, right? Mm -hmm. As the games are shorter and there's Mm -hmm. more chance for statistic collaboration. Longer shot clock. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so maybe this is a good time to talk about a few other sports. Um, You know, there, there were other things other than lacrosse going on at Penn. For example, there were three tennis meets uh, this weekend, women's tennis had a meet against St. John's that they uh, won pretty handily, despite the fact that St. John's number one uh, is, I think, the number 88 ranked uh, like non-pro tennis player in the country right now, which is pretty impressive. Um, men's tennis had two back-to-back meets um, on Sunday against... With a Temple in the morning and then Binghamton in the afternoon, and they played really well and won both of those. Um, I think they won the first one like six. I, they, they won both of them six one actually. So uh, you know, super dominant with that. And then uh, I didn't actually see this, although I saw the tennis meets. But softball won uh, on a walk off home run this weekend as well. I don't know who who, who was at that. Mark was. Uh, Mark. Following that game a little bit, that was a pretty I was ba- fun. I basically walked by it on the way to lacrosse interviews, but I they did pull out a 12-3 uh, mercy rule win over Lehigh. Um, they've had a tough season. They're they now five and fourteen. They were four and fourteen going into the game, but it was a good win for them. Uh, to be honest, I didn't see too much of it, but when I walked by, I saw they were up I think ten three at that point. And I was a little surprised given, you know, this way their season was going. And I was walking with the athletic communications director, too, and he also, I think we were both a little surprised. Um, But it was good that they pulled out the win, and hopefully, you know, they're a pretty young team, so hopefully they get some late-season momentum and provide some, you know, provide some fire going into next offseason. They have a lot of freshman talent, it seems like. I know Lucy Yang is having a very, very good season. She was leading the Ivy League in war um, through the first and through actually this past weekend, I believe. And I think that if they just shore up the bullpen a little bit, then they might be able to make a little bit of a run in, you know, towards the later part of the Ivy League season. They're a little behind the eight ball currently, but that's not to say that they don't have the offensive firepower to be able to work themselves back right back in. They've shown some promise in Ivy League play. I mean, they... They had a three-game series at Dartmouth, and they won the first game 8-0. I mean, they ended up losing the next two by each two-run games. But, you know, this is a team they've had success in the past. They're having a rough stretch this season, but they're a team that I think to watch out for in the end of this season and for a couple seasons to come. Yeah. And um, just to, to get back to tennis for a little bit, um, I wanted to hi- highlight a couple things. You know, I had a chance to talk to both of the coaches um, after those meets, and they really um, there were some early season struggles. I think for both teams, but uh, especially men's tennis just lost a whole bunch of meets early in the season. But if you actually go back and look at those, you know they had a bunch of people out with illness. Um, they had a couple of their key guys get injured early in the season, who are now all back, and that's why you see them. They've uh, they had now have eight straight wins when they're playing at home. Um, and they've looked really good on the road too. Uh, they've they've lost a couple, but but just a couple in the last two months. And we're heading into Ivy season, and they're really peaking at the right time. And um, you know, this, this is a team that uh, has had some difficulties the past couple of years, I think, but uh, could make a real run at at the the Ivy championship. And and on the women's side, you know, that they're really talented. Um, 
I think they have a ton going for them, and, and they, they struggled a bit over spring break. They were out in California playing some really good teams, but uh, I think they're kind of back on the horse now that they've gotten home, and um, they're playing well too. So, uh, yeah, they've had high a lot expectations. Of, they had a lot of injuries early on in the season too. Like There were a couple matches um, where they had to, um, I think, forfeit one of the singles matches because they didn't okay. have enough healthy players. So, you know, they're all finally healthy again, and they've grinded out a couple good matches. So definitely very curious to see how they end up at Princeton this weekend and how they end up faring through the rest of the Ivy League season. Absolutely. So I guess now it's time to get into Hard-Nosed Player of the Week, um, our weekly award for the toughest member of Penn Athletics. Uh, who, who wants to start this week? I can guess. I can guess. Start it off. All right. That's okay with Mark. Um, oh, why would I not be okay with it? <laughs> um, I'm I'm going with a gymnastics nominee this week. Um, senior Alex Harkey qualified uh, for the 2018 NCAA Gymnastics Championships um, on the floor, um, which is a pretty huge deal. I would say that's pretty hard-nosed going through an entire floor routine and then being good enough to qualify for NCAAs. Um, she was only one of two women on the entire gymnastics team to qualify, so pretty big accomplishment there, I would say. Um, so my choice, you know, naturally sucking up to try and get the win, is Taya's teammate, uh, Aaron Berry. Uh, she had solid performance against Brown. She led the team in shots, which I'd say it's pretty hard-nosed to get to the net a lot. Uh, and she also had six points total and led offensive players in trawl controls, which is also a very hard-nosed stat. Um, against Maryland, uh, I mean, as a, you know, we went out, as a team, they... Um, you know, they didn't necessarily have their best performance, but Barry had a pretty, you know, she had two points, the team scored seven, so she had a significant chunk of the offensive output, and she tied for the team leading cause turnover. So we talk a lot about uh, some of the other offensive players and Zoe and Gabby, but I think this week's hard-nosed player of the year wasn't one, was a year? A, I'm sorry, of the week. <laughs> the week. I don't know, I mean, you picked Donahue, so you tried to, you the other week. So Donnie you, is you, tough as hell. You went hard-nosed player of the decade, so <laughs> hard-nosed person of the decade. So, despite my slip of the tongue, I would have to say I think Aaron Berry definitely earned her uh, yeah. um, player of the week. So, I'm going with uh, Rhea Vidya, and I apologize if I'm pronouncing it. I don't know, Carter, do you know? Uh, I think that's all right. All yeah. right, good. Uh, to she's, her name. she's the number one uh, singles player on women's tennis she actually, I'm um, going with a somewhat controversial pick. Um, she lost her match against St. John's number one, uh, Jessica. I'm definitely going to pronounce this one wrong. She's Serbian. Liviuna or, or something like that. Um, uh, Jessica's the number 88. I mentioned this before. The number 88 ranked uh, non-pro in the country uh, is a really, really talented member of that team. And just an incredible tennis player and I I don't think she was taking Rhea seriously enough because you know people that watch Penn women's tennis know that Rhea is also a really really talented tennis player also a really really tough opponent and uh, Rhea stole the first set from her and then in the second set gutted out every point there were even there was even some trash talking and some harsh words between the two of them which is pretty freaking tough but gutted out every single point took it down to 5-5. Five, five. Uh, Jessica won the next... Uh, I'm gonna, uh, Jessica won the next game. She's up 6-5. If 
Rhea loses this, then it's over. She evens it to 6-6, six, six, and then they go to the, the tie break, which she just barely loses. So then it's at 1-1 one, one for the sets. And um, they then go to the 10-point tie break, where, you know, there's just a tiny margin between winning and losing. And Jessica ends up winning that. But to just gut out through all of that when she could have easily just folded and said, you know, um, I'm not expected to win this. I'm the underdog. I'm just going to give up. To get out all those points anyway, even even not coming up with the match victory, I think is pretty tough. So I'm going with Rhea. Can you repeat some of what was said on air, or is that best kept between the players? What? Trash talk. Oh, the trash talk? <laughs> oh, um, yeah, basically just uh, at, at some points... Um, when Rio was really invested and getting really heated, she would celebrate, and that I think got under Jessica's skin a little bit. And so then there were there was some back and forth over what was sportsmanship and what wasn't in uh, celebrating points. Because you know, uh, t- tennis is one of these sports where you're supposed to be more reserved. I think sometimes, but you know, when you're in the heat of the moment, I don't think anybody can blame you sportsmanship for sportsmanship. Uh, is overrated. I, I agree absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it sounds pretty spicy. Yeah. <laughs> So, Taya, it's now up to you to pick uh, the hard-nosed player of the week. So who is your choice? Well, well, everyone gave a really good sell, and I have to appreciate the trash-talking and NCAA qualifications. <laughs> I do have to go home and see Aaron Ferry and probably watch, watch a movie or something. So I'm going to go, go with pick. Um, and I'm probably clearly biased choice. Wow. Um, if anyone had come to easy. see... It's too easy. Our game, in our game against Brown, she, like, you you would have seen her in the definition, like, hard-nosed play. We were losing, and she's one of the players who you could very clearly see on the field. Like, we're like, we're not losing this game, we're going to win this game, and if I'm the one who's going to win this game, I'm going to do it. And she kind of did, so Aaron Berry is my choice. Thank wow. you, Aaron Berry. Yeah. Unbelievable. Another dunk for Margolis. <laughs> also, I'm very glad that our hard-nosed player of the week gave a really gritty, hard-nosed performance as told by one of her teammates. Yeah, and That was pretty cool. That's true. Absolutely. Pretty excited about that. Absolutely. Should we have Taya pick uh, who was the biggest loser between you and me? I think we, so. We sometimes yeah. do that, yeah. That uh, just seems mean to the players. <laughs> that's true. That's kind of that more of a roast. That is true. Maybe we can do it. That's all right. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll edit yeah. that part out. We'll be all right. <laughs> all right. Can, can I say the Jessica girl who like allowed this to happen to her? Yeah. Okay, yes, her. <laughs> Fair enough. She, she's tied with Yossi for the Margolis <laughs> softest. <laughs> I just want to point out, Sam has yet to win a hard-nosed player. That's not true. I won last week. When I am here. So I do not, so whenever I have a normal temperature, not a 103 fever, Sam still has a goose egg in the wind column. I mean... You're 2-0 when I'm here. Ooh, good point. I don't know when Tay is here. Wait, so both times you've sucked up by picking somebody who is uh, either a teammate or, like, Brevin's a fanboy of. I know my audience. I know my audience. I would add, Mark, that... Last week when I won, I picked a member of Women's Lax, uh, not when it was being judged by a member of the team, just out of, out of my own thinking, That's and won. Fault. And then, uh, you know, he comes through, he picks another member of Women's Lax. I mean, I'm sure they're all great, Everyone's but it's been, it's been done, Mark. All of it's been done. That's great. Yeah. Well... In conclusion, um, Brevin and Taya, thank you, thank you both so much for joining us this week. Uh, we hope you come back again and get to spend your 
Monday or Tuesday nights with us. Um, thank you again to everyone listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Penalty Box. Thank you so much to our producers, Yossi Weitzman and Lauren Sorrentino. We'll see you next week.